I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 41. And uh, we've spent about three weeks. This is our third week on these ten chapters. There just was so very much here that uh, I felt we needed to look at that uh, I couldn't cover it in, in one message. And so uh, this is our last Sunday. And if you didn't pick up a study guide, be sure you get part three. Uh, last Sunday's has the yellow highlighting on it. And uh, this uh, Sunday's is part three. Someone asked me this week, uh, what is the NAU Bible? And I thought that was a good question. No one's asked me that, but maybe you're wondering. And uh, I want to just let you know that uh, the New American Standard Bible is the one I've been using. It happens to have been revised in 1995 from its original publication in 1971. And so the software program that I use uh, has the original 71 edition and then it has the 95 edition. The 71 is marked NASB, the 95 is marked NAU for New American Updated. And uh, the reason that it did that was so that we could have both copies and distinguish from it. I'll never forget when I was in Old Testament uh, class, and we were talking about appearances of Christ uh, in the Old Testament. And uh, you may remember, because I'm going to be mentioning this a little later in the message today, Jacob wrestling (coughs) with an angel at the brook Jabbok as he is returning back, uh, and he is about to encounter his brother Esau, and they did not part on good terms, believe me. And uh, so he's uh, quite fearful of that, and he has this wrestling match with an angel, uh, and my professor asked, do you think that angel was God or was a man? And I said, uh, well... That was a man. Then he paused, and he looked at me, and he said, Why would you say that? And I said, Because the Bible says, You have wrestled with God and with me, and have prevailed. And there's a distinction being drawn. He says, You better read that verse again. So I read the verse out loud. He said, let me see your Bible. (laughs) So I handed him my Bible. 1971 edition of the New American Standard Bible. They left the N off the word men. And it came out me. And the text actually says you have wrestled with God and with men and have prevailed. And it is a theophany, it is an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. And for one character, the the meaning of that whole passage changes for one letter. So every once in a while things need to be updated. And uh, when you're reading your Bible, uh, it doesn't hurt to read a couple of different translations. Because uh, you might uh, encounter something that uh, is a misprint. I found more misprints, actually, uh, particularly in uh, newer editions of Scripture. 
I don't know what happens. People get in a hurry and uh, they hit the wrong keys. And you look at it, you say, wait a minute, that's not the way that's supposed to go. So uh, when you're reading, pay attention. Well, coming back to Isaiah 41 to 50, um, I have through the years heard the statement or the objection that nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus Christ is specifically God. And um, I've had people challenge me and challenge the deity of Christ on that basis, saying that uh, the Bible does not declare that directly. And um, I'm going to come back to that in a moment, but let me just say there are other things that we hold to be uh, infallibly true that the Bible does not specifically state. For example, we believe God is a triune God. And the reason we believe that is because God exists in three co-equal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there are ample scripture passages that uh, support the deity of each member of the Trinity. And yet nowhere does the Bible say God is a triune God. Also, nowhere does the Bible say that God, uh, that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. In fact, uh, we like to say he, has, he is as much God as if he were not man at all, and as much man as if he were not God at all in the flesh on this earth. And, and so he has this union of uh, essence that he is both fully God and fully man. But the Bible does not say that in exactly those terms. It's just borne out. In the reading of Scripture, it becomes very, very apparent. You may be interested to know that the Bible never once attempts to prove the existence of God. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It starts out with the assumption that he is there. And rather clearly states in the Psalms, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Uh, to look at this universe around us and to declare that it is merely a product of time and chance is uh, absolutely ludicrous. And the scripture says only a fool would draw that conclusion. Well, as we know today, there are a lot of fools out there. But one of the books that contains a wealth of information implying the deity of Jesus Christ is the, is the prophetic book of Isaiah. Uh, I, I'm only dealing with... Ten chapters this morning, but you could go throughout all the the 66 chapters of Isaiah and uh, all over the place find references to the deity of Jesus Christ. And if your eyes are opened as you read the scripture, uh, it becomes apparent that the same God who is the Holy One of Israel 
is also the same Lord Jesus Christ who is going to be their Redeemer, their Rescuer, their coming King, and who will ultimately uh, bring them back together at the end of history as we know it and establish the kingdom, Jesus Christ sitting on the throne of David. And Isaiah equates him with the living God time and time again. And as we go through Isaiah... um, you can see that rather plainly borne out. Now, in your study guide, you'll notice that there is a backside to the guide. The backside simply gives you the full text of the New Testament passages uh, to which I refer when on the front side in the outline, I give you a passage from Isaiah. For example, Isaiah 41.4 says uh, at the end of the verse, I am the Lord, or I the Lord am the first, and with the last, I am He. And that little CW means compare with. That's my abbreviation, so I could get it on one line, <laughs> mostly. So compare with Revelation 20 to 13. And if you look on the back, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. But in Revelation 22, it's clearly talking about Jesus Christ. And in Isaiah 41, 4, uh, the uh, s- somewhat implication of the passage is that this is God speaking. And so here we have an equation where God declares himself to be the Lord, the first and the last, I am he, and then Revelation attributes the same quality or character to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that comes again and again like that through the passages. So let's just look for a moment at some of the passages in Isaiah. I'm going to read the Isaiah passage, but you can look uh, later on in your small groups or when you get home today at the back and read the comparative passages in the New Testament because the same thing is stated. In Isaiah 43.3, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now, when we speak about Savior, uh, about whom do we speak? It's Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. In fact, throughout the Scripture, He is the Savior. And yet, Isaiah represents this as God being our Savior, And in the New Testament, we discover that the saving one is, in fact, Jesus Christ, even as we celebrated at the Lord's table this morning. In Isaiah 43, 11, I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior beside me. And um, the passage in uh, John Uh, makes that quite clear that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Uh, Jesus is the one who is the Savior of the world. In Isaiah 44, verse 6, 
Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last, and there is no God beside me. Again, from Revelation 22. Isaiah 45, verse 12, compared with John 1, 1 to 3. God says in Isaiah, It is I who made the earth and created man upon it. I stretched out the heaven with my hands, the heavens with my hands, and ordained their host. And yet we read in John chapter 1, In beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through or by Him, and without Him was not anything made that has been made. And so uh, there you have the Scripture declaring quite clearly that Jesus Christ is the agency of creation, even though we are introduced to the Father in Genesis and also in Isaiah as the Creator, Jesus is also the Creator. And so, in fact, in Hebrews it says, He sustains and holds everything together by the word of His power. Um, he is the one who causes everything uh, to, to come together and uh, hold it, holds it all together. By the way, um, there are those who claim that Jesus is a created being. They, they not only deny his deity, but they suggest that he is created. And when... After uh, Resurrection Sunday, that's Easter Sunday for most folks, but after Resurrection Sunday, we're going to be looking at uh, biblical discernment and how to uh, understand the Scriptures in a logical fashion as a means of testing truth. And one of the things that we're going to have to do is study just a little bit of logic. I'm not going to go deeply into it. I don't want to uh you know, uh, fry everybody's brains, but <laughs> just a little bit into it. And when we get there, uh, think about what I just said as I quoted First John, or John chapter 1 for you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him, or by Him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So let me ask you, are all created things a thing? Are they? Yes, thank you. All created things are a thing. Was anything made without Jesus? No. So where does that leave him? As the creator, the maker, he is not made. Nothing was made without him, so therefore he was not made. He is the maker of all things. Um, next time Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door, 
explain to them in no uncertain terms that Jesus Christ is the Lord God Almighty who created everything. And uh, I'll leave it up to you whether you want to tackle that any further or not, but um, the truth is quite plain in the Scriptures. In Isaiah 45, verses 22 to 23, For I am God, and there is no other, that to me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. What passage do you know that from? Isn't it Philippians? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, Every knee is bowing to the Father. Every knee is bowing to the Son. You know, it's interesting that Jesus never refused worship. And yet He made it very clear in those first four commandments of the Ten Commandments. You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. It is... Uh, sacrilege and blasphemy to worship any other than God. And yet, Jesus never refused worship when it was offered. And yet, angels, oftentimes, when men fell at at their feet, they said, stand up, for I am just like you. Don't worship me. I don't deserve worship. There's only one who should be worshipped, and that one is God. In Isaiah 48, 12-13, Listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel whom I called. I am he, I am the first, I am the last. Surely my hand founded the earth, my right hand spread out the heavens. When I called to them, they stand together. And that really is the passage that the Hebrews passage goes with where it says he holds all things together by the word of his power. Jesus' powerful word holds the elements together so that all the universe hangs upon his authority. He is the one who holds it together. You know, one day... It's going to essentially evaporate with a fervent heat. We're going to be left. That's an amazing thing because we are not purely physical beings. We are spiritual beings. But this earth is going to pass away. And things are going to change rather dramatically. And that's no problem for God. He holds everything together by the word of His power. Sometimes people ask me, what what about people who died at sea? What about people who were consumed in a fire? How how are they coming back? And it's like, well, God knows where their molecules are. (laughs) He has no trouble putting it all back together. He is perfectly capable of restoring us. We, We return to dust eventually. But there will come a resurrection, and the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible. 
And God holds everything together by the word of his power. This is just a a, a sampling, just a, a brief overview of the various passages in Isaiah where the deity of Christ is affirmed. And I encourage you, just in these ten chapters, to compare the outline on the front with the text that refer to them in the New Testament and note how uh, God the Father and Jesus the Son are intermingled in attributes, as it were, because uh, they both have personality uh, and character of God and deserve to be worshipped as God. The second thing that I'd just like to touch on this morning before we conclude, and I'm going to do that rather shortly, is that Jesus is the Savior of Israel, Judah, and the whole world. If you'll look uh, at Isaiah 49, Listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb... From the body of my mother, he named me. Now this is speaking of Jesus. The Lord, Adonai, called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named me. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. Does that remind you of anything? For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The words of Jesus penetrate and discern between bone and marrow. They are the decisive uh, truth of God that comes into our lives to bring illumination and conviction and understanding. God has given him uh, that tongue (laughs) like the word. He also has made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. He said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will show my glory. Now, I want to just highlight the fact that in this case, Israel refers not to the nation, but to Jesus. And the reason that I say that is, first of all, we're talking about a person here, not a whole nation. And secondly... We're going to go back to the brook Jabbok. Remember I told you we were going to come back there later in the message? We're going to go back to that brook where Jacob wrestled with the angel. And what happened after that wrestling match and his uh, hip socket was put out of joint and he walked with a limp the rest of his life as a testimony that he had wrestled with God and won. Isn't that a strange thing? Have you ever thought about that? He ends up wounded permanently, and he wins. How does that happen? And God says to him, No longer will your name be Jacob, meaning the, the swindler that grabs by the heel. But I am calling you Israel, which means prince with God. Israel, prince with God. And from this day forward, you will be a prince with God. Jacob was forever changed 
after that experience. And friends, when you wrestle with God at your brook, when you have that match where you and God are in a tussle over your self-will and His Lordship, and you come to, to face the reality that you need the empowerment of His Holy Spirit, in your weakness, His strength is made perfect. You will forever bear the mark of that match. And yet you have won the battle. Because at last you are filled with the Spirit and presence of God. And you are Israel, a prince with God. Well, Jesus in this particular case is the prince of God. And he says, you are my servant Israel in whom I will show my glory. But I said, I have toiled in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely the justice due me is with the Lord and my reward is with my God. That's uh, an allusion to the cross. And now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God is promising here that one day He will restore the tribes of Jacob back to Israel, the land of Israel. And furthermore, that He will also be a light to the nations in the fulfillment of His promise to Abraham that through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that is a promise that we can count on, that Jesus Christ is not only the Redeemer of Israel, but the light of the world and a light to the nations. And then, just another highlight from Isaiah 49, Thus says the Lord, In a favorable time I have answered you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you, I will keep you and give you for a covenant to the people to restore the land and to make them inherit the desolate heritages. Saying to those who are bound, go forth. To those who are in darkness, show yourselves. Along the roads they will feed and their pasture will be on all the bare heights. They will not hunger or thirst, nor will scorching heat or sun strike them down. For he who has compassion on them will lead them and guide them to springs of water. And I will make my mountains a road and my highways will be raised up. Behold, these will come from afar and lo, these will come from the north and the west, from the land of Sinem. Shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joyful shouting, O mountains. For the Lord has spoken to the heart of His people. That's what comfort means, to speak to the heart. 
and will have compassion on his afflicted. I just want to end this morning by highlighting the truth that our God is a covenant-keeping God. He is the one, when He makes a promise, He keeps it forever. Some promises are contingent. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. There's a contingent clause. If you abide in me. But other promises are without contingency. They are the covenants of God. They are the commitments that He makes. And He Himself undertakes to uphold them. Somewhere, maybe later this year, I'll bring a series on the covenants of God. Our God is a covenant-keeping God. He will restore Israel. He will save us. It doesn't depend on the man that wills or runs. It depends on God who keeps his word. And he is the one who will see it all the way through. That's why Paul can say with confidence, as I quoted last week, I know and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him against that day. He is able to keep what I've committed. I'm so grateful that the promise, the covenant promises of God are not based on my fickle character, but on God's established word that cannot change and that he will keep his promises forever. I've just given you a few morsels this morning. Go to your groups, go to your devotional time, and search them out, and let the Lord delight you in his word. God bless.